0: Father, we do just praise you and give you thanks again this morning for um, the gift of your presence among us and ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open uh, your word to us that we might understand it and Lord, that we might be transformed by it. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can grab a seat. Well, again, good morning. Ooh, week. Good morning. There we go. Um, It's great to be together again today. We are uh, in the midst of our summer sermon series, uh, Encounters with Jesus, Discovering God's Love for the Lost. And really what we're doing uh, from one week to the next is looking at different encounters that Jesus had with people in the Gospels. And as we do that, our, our goals are really simple. We want to get a glimpse into Jesus' heart. And then we want to ask God to give us that heart for people. Jesus' heart for people would become our heart for people. And so this morning we're going to look at another encounter um, that Jesus had in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so you want to keep your Bible open to Matthew chapter 9, uh, those verses we just read. That's where we're going to kind of camp out this morning. Um, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, running some errands with, uh, with two of my kids. <clears throat> And as we were driving along, it was kind of late, mid to late morning. We we're driving around the city doing different things. And uh, I noticed kind of this increasing edginess in the car uh, with the kids. So uh, it kind of started off okay, but then they were kind of picking on each other. And then they were getting kind of feisty. And then at some point, it escalated uh, to a, uh, an old French fry from McDonald's that had been found in the seat flying across the back of the car and hitting one of the kids in the face, which then brought on this whole new level of yelling uh, in the back seat between the kids. And I tell you this because in my infinite wisdom as a parent, like many of you parents probably in this room, uh, the way I handled it was just exemplary. I mean, I I, I turned to them and in a very loud and angry voice said, stop yelling. It's not nice to yell. Jesus wouldn't yell. (laughs) Now I say that by confession. I yelled at my kids. We've all done it, but I yelled at them Uh, because I I realized slowly, and the same reason they were yelling at each other, had nothing to do with the actual French fry incident, had nothing to do with the fact that uh, somebody was sitting where somebody else wanted to sit. It really came down to one phenomenon that was occurring in the car that you've experienced, you've all experienced, it's called being hangry. We were all hangry, that's what was going on. It was late morning, we'd been a long time since breakfast, we weren't quite to lunch yet, we're running around, doing all this stuff together in the car. And that's what was causing us to kind of fly off the handle of each other, this totally disproportionate kind of level of anger. It's because we were hungry, right? And none of us were willing to acknowledge that we were actually hungry or do anything about it. Instead, we just yelled at each other and became really, uh, really just upset in the car because we were hangry. <clears throat> I was thinking about that this week because I think we have a cultural hangry problem. I think we as a culture are hangry. And what I mean by that is I I think as I I watch the news, I don't know if you've had this sense lately, you watch the news, you check your your, uh, Twitter feed, you're out with some friends for for a drink or just hanging out for dinner or whatever, and there's just this sense of anger. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just this kind of percolating anger almost everywhere you turn right now. I mean, I I have good friends that, that are followers of Jesus and sometimes they get on a particular issue or something going on in politics or whatever it is and they are angry. And it just comes bubbling out and pouring out. And I've been thinking about, like, what is going on? (laughs) What's going on in our country? What's going on in our culture? And one of the things I think is going on, because there are things that are worth getting upset about. Don't misunderstand me. But one of the things I think is going on is that it really isn't about some of these things that it appears to be about. What it's really about is the fact that people are hungry, right? They're hungry. And what they're hungry for is Jesus, And you see, the reality is that being hungry and running around hungry and not doing anything about it, but trying to do something about it through things like um, political activism or trying to do something about it through your social media feed or taking up a social cause, all these things are trying to meet this hunger. And the hunger is for things like a purpose or significance in life, a hunger for things uh, like uh, dealing with the deeply broken parts Uh, of our lives. People are hungry for someone or for something in their life that makes them happy. And more importantly, I think that makes them feel safe and loved. People are hungry. And it's really interesting to look out at the landscape of our culture right now because I think what people are doing is they are hungry and they don't really understand what they're hungry for. And so they're looking in all these other places when really the reality is they are hungry for Jesus. And so I bring that up because as I was looking through the Gospel of Matthew uh, this week, one of the things that really stood out to me is that Jesus was constantly coming in contact with people like this. (laughs) There are people all over the Gospels who were hungry. They're hungry for someone who can help them understand life, hungry for someone who can give them meaning and purpose, hungry for deliverance and freedom from the things in life that are destroying them, hungry for love. Jesus was constantly coming in, into uh, contact with people, with groups like this. Now in the Gospels, these people, this group of people, um, they're everywhere. That's one of the things I began to realize. And there's a term for them. They're called the Aklas. Can you all say that? The Aklas. Aklos, there you go. So that's Greek for the crowds or the multitudes or the common people. So this is not like the big kind of elites, the leaders of the religion or leaders of politics. This is just like people, like us, common people, the aklos is what they're called. And the aklos are all over the Gospels. It's amazing. If you begin to look, you see that there are crowds constantly around Jesus and constantly encountering Jesus And to be honest, I was a little bit shocked at just how prevalent they are in the Gospels. I mean, literally, page after page after page, you encounter these crowds that have gathered around Jesus. And I think they're kind of easy to miss. If if you've kind of read through the Gospels, um, uh, maybe you've been around church for a while. I don't know if you've, maybe you've never heard a sermon on the crowds. I haven't. And I think it's because they're kind of like these nameless, faceless, kind of just blob of people, right? I mean, when you look on a screen and it's just a big crowd, it's really hard to kind of connect and identify. I mean, we, we resonate with stories about people like the hemorrhaging woman or, or people like Zacchaeus because we kind of connect. We can almost imagine them as a person. But just this big, faceless, nameless blob that Jesus encounters called the crowds, the aklahs. And what's really interesting is if you look at the crowds and you just kind of did a survey of the gospels is their interactions with Jesus are all over the map, right? Sometimes the crowds as they encounter Jesus, they're just amazed, they're in awe of what Jesus is teaching or what Jesus has done in terms of his miracles and healing. Sometimes they're just totally confused. Sometimes they're annoyed with Jesus. Sometimes they actually function in the story as a hindrance. You know, you think about that incredible story of of the four friends who who brought their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus and they couldn't get into the room. They couldn't get into the house. They had to tear open the ceiling. Why? Because of the crowds, right? The crowds can be a hindrance. Even more than that, sometimes the crowds vehemently oppose Jesus. They were totally against him. And so just try to imagine yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment, interacting, encountering these crowds. And what it must have felt like, what it must have been tempting to to think and to feel as you're dealing with this kind of fickle, always changing group of people that are constantly around you and pursuing you. I imagine Jesus probably would have felt frustrated Annoyed. I mean, these are things I would have felt, but what's really interesting is, is what Jesus actually felt. And we know what he felt because he tells us here in Matthew 9. So look at Matthew nine thirty five. This is what Jesus felt about the crowds. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, the aklos, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. How incredible is Jesus? How amazing is it that his response when he saw the crowds was to have compassion? Jesus' response is to have compassion. Again, just think of all the ways he could have responded. I mean, think about some of the ways that the crowd interacts with Jesus. At one point, Jesus said to his closest followers, he said, guys, he said, what are people out there saying? What's the crowd saying about me? Oh, they're saying, Jesus, that you're you're actually, you're John the Baptist or that you're uh, Elijah come back or you're Jeremiah. You're just like, just another prophet. Totally misunderstand who Jesus is. What's Jesus' response? Frustration. No compassion, right? I mean, think about the times when Jesus um, uh, had to deal with the crowd uh, like he dealt with the young girl who was dying, whose father sent for Jesus and he got there too late and the daughter died. You know what people did when Jesus got there and said, she's asleep? Do you remember? what did they do? They laughed at him. They laughed. Jesus, you are ridiculous. And what did Jesus do? He raised that girl to life. Out of compassion. At one point, Jesus, cousin and good friend John the Baptist, was executed. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus withdrew in grief. He pulled away. He's with crowds, but he needed time like any one of us would have needed just to grieve the death of his cousin and his friend. And you know what happened as he withdrew to try to get away? Guess who followed him? The crowds. The crowds pressed in and they wanted him to heal. They wanted him to do miracles. They wanted him to teach. And what did Jesus do? What was his response in that moment? Compassion. See, over and over and over, even when they came for him in the Garden of Gethsemane with clubs and swords, even when they yelled crucify, even when they walked by the cross as he was dying, the crowds mocked him, and Jesus' response was compassion. Forgive them, right? How amazing is Jesus? It's just incredible. You know, the word compassion in the English, it comes from two Latin roots. Com um, is one of them, meaning with or together, as you might guess. And then the other one is pati, which means to suffer. And compassion then literally means uh, to be with and to suffer with another out of love for them. That's what compassion means 1st Peter 2:21 illustrates this it says that Jesus himself suffered for us out of compassion he came to the world suffered with us and for us that was his mission right Charles Spurgeon a great pastor once said if you could sum up the whole character of Christ in reference to ourselves it might be gathered into this one sentence he was moved with compassion the whole mission of Jesus, the very heart of Jesus is about compassion of being with and suffering with us. So compassion is our English word, but the real money, the real money here is the Greek word. All right. So we're going to, we're going to go hard into the Greek here. All right. So you can say this with me. I even put the kind of phonetic up there. my. Can you say splagnizomai? Splagnitzomai. The root word is splankna. Okay, and so splagnitsomai, you can say this at, at lunch today and just giggle because it's, it's an awesome word. That's the only reason I really want to put up here because it's just fun to say. Splagnitsomai, but splagnitsomai is the Greek word and what it means here is this idea of compassion, but really uh, it comes from this idea that um, it's, it's something experienced in your guts. That's what splagnitsomai means. It means that Jesus experienced something in the very guts of who he was. And, and the reason that kind of is attached to this word is because the ancient, Actually, believe that your affections, right, actually emerge from your guts. Like that's where all the important stuff is, right? Like your kidneys and your lungs and your heart and all your stomach intestines, your guts. So if you splagnitzomai, you're really feeling it, right? So if you're if you write a love song in the first century, you're not writing a song about how your heart feels. You're talking about your guts, right? My guts feel this for you, baby. That's what you're saying, splagnitzomai. So splagnitzomai is this word that really presses in on this fact that this is the deepest, most gut-wrenching feeling, experience that someone could have. And do you know that when Jesus was surrounded uh, by these people, this is what he felt, splagnitzomai. He saw the crowds and to the core of him, to the very core of his being, he felt this compassion. You know, compassion, this, this love that we're talking about. You know, the word love, I think it trips us up, really, because th- this desire to love someone this way that Jesus is talking about here, it, we get tripped up with the word love because love is a cheap word these days. It gets used for everything um, from kolaches to football teams to sex, right? I mean, love is just all over. But for Jesus, this, this kind of love, this compassion, this like my, it meant something very specific. And Jesus actually told us what he means, about what he felt when he said, I look out over these crowds and I have compassion. He told us in Luke chapter six, listen to this. But Jesus said, I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, Offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks and don't demand your things back from them that they took from you. He goes on to say, treat people in the same way that you want them to treat you. Love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return. And if you do, you will have great reward. You will be acting the way of the children of the Most High are supposed to act. For God is kind to ungrateful and wicked Crowds, people, thats what it says. And then Jesus wraps it up with this. He says, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. For Jesus, this idea of compassion, this kind of love is the love of the father. It's a love without boundaries or criteria, a love that extends to those who bother you, who disagree with you, who are opposed to you, even those who persecute you, is what Jesus said, your enemies. It was a love that was for those who were near from God and far from God. This compassion was the passion the passion of the Father, was the heart of the Father, was the love of the Father. And it was at the very core of who he was. Exodus 34, when God chose to reveal himself to his people at Sinai, what did he say? He said, I am the Lord who is compassionate, right? Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, patient, loving. This is the God who is revealed to us in Jesus. Compassion. This is what it means to show compassion. You know, it's interesting. Matthew 9 says when Jesus had compassion on the crowds, it was because they were harassed and helpless. Did you see that? When we saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You know what that says to me it says that Jesus didn't look out and see a blob of faceless, nameless people. He he looked out on this crowd and he could see beyond their kind of petty, fickle, selfish, prideful acts. He could see into their very hearts. He could see their real need. And Jesus the good shepherd knew that the real problem was that they were hungry, right? They were hungry. They were like lost sheep longing for a shepherd. That's what Jesus saw. Mark Sayer is an Australian pastor. He has this great little book that I highly recommend to you called Disappearing Church. And he says that one of the things that's happening in our culture is that more and more people um, in our culture have given up on kind of, Christianity and a a Christian worldview. uh, But in the midst of that, what they're doing is that they're kind of holding on to the ethics and the ideals of the Christian faith. Um, That in an increasingly post-Christian and secular world, what people are trying to do now is hold on to ideas about like freedom and equality and justice, which are primarily kind of derived from a Judeo-Christian worldview. They're trying to hold on to those things without all the religious trappings. Does that make sense? And what he says is, is all those things um, that people are trying to hold on to, as they're, as they're holding on to them, they're trying to jettison what they deem as regressive, kind of exclusive, inhibiting claims of religion. Sayer puts it really eloquently, I think, when he says this. He says, we are living in a time when people want the kingdom, but not the king. want the kingdom, the experience of that life, but without the king, without the shepherd, without Jesus. And the problem is that in the absence of a king, of a shepherd, people turn to all kinds of things, don't they? They turn to all kinds of things to find purpose and meaning and happiness and belonging and security. They turn to politics. They turn to sex, to substances, to, to the meetup group in their neighborhood, to this cause or that cause. They turn to all kinds of things. But in the end, all of those things fail to deliver at the deepest level for what they're hungry for and what they're longing for. And so they feel helpless. They feel harassed by the world. You see, for Jesus, compassion wasn't just this like feeling of pity that kind of welled up in him, right? For Jesus, it was rooted in the Father's heart for humanity. A love that moved him to action that was rooted in the Father's heart for all the world. Jesus said it in Luke 6, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. And so God's compassion, it moved him to send his son. God's compassion moved his son to look out on these crowds and to show them compassion. For Jesus' compassion then wasn't just something he felt, right? It was rooted in God's love for the world. But even more than that, it wasn't just something he felt. It was something that he did. Compassion was something that he did. Look at Matthew 9.35 again. This is what compassion looks like. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. I want you to look at that. I want you to notice there's three ways that Jesus' compassion expresses itself. Three things that Jesus' compassion does here. First, Compassion was going to people. You see that? What was Jesus doing? He was going to them. He was going to their towns and villages. He was walking their streets. We're told again and again in the Gospels, he was sitting at meals in their homes. He was with them. He was going to the people. And realize most of these people were kind of poor and working uh, lower and middle class folks. These folks were people that were on the margins of society, people that were forgotten, people that were social outcasts. And yet Jesus is intentionally going to them and being with them. That's what we ought to read when we see all the towns and villages. Second thing, compassion for Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. In the gospels, this means that Jesus was preaching repentance and belief because the kingdom of God was coming near. He was inviting people, in other words, to turn away from all those things they were putting their trust and their faith and their hope in, in this life, and to turn to him as king. He was ushering in this new kingdom, this new way of life that he alone could offer them. And so he's inviting them into this new allegiance, this new life. Put your trust in him. Radically turn from those things and follow me. Follow me what Jesus said. And then the third way that compassion manifests here, that Jesus was going through these towns and he was healing every disease and sickness. And when you look, when you look at the gospels, what you see is every physical and spiritual. That's the kind of healing that was going on. Things like leprosy or blindness or those who were paralyzed those who were possessed by demons, those who were struggling in all kinds of ways, Jesus was responding out of compassion to them to their brokenness and their need. And over and over again, it's amazing. If you just survey the gospels, people, crowds, the Oklas come to Jesus again and again and again, and Jesus heals. Jesus heals all night, all day, three days in a row. He heals, he heals, he heals, he heals. Compassion, that's what it looks like. See, compassion for Jesus wasn't just a feeling. It was something that he did. And here's the kicker. He calls us to do it too. He calls us to be a people of compassion. You know what's amazing is what's right after this. Does anybody know what happens right after this? The next chapter, chapter 10? Jesus sends out the twelve. You know, these lines at the end. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. How is that connected? You wondered that? Like, how, how, what's the, seems like a little bit of a non sequitur, right? But what Jesus is saying, look, look, you've been with me. You've seen me express compassion, show the compassion to the crowds, the people. And now you know what? I'm sending you out to do the same, to be ambassadors of compassion, to be on a mission of compassion. And so he sends out the 12. He literally says in Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 6, go to the lost sheep. <laughs> he picks it up. The sheep who are without a shepherd, go to them, love them. These harassed and helpless sheep, proclaim the good news, heal the sick, cast out demons, go and have compassion on them as you have seen me have compassion on them. Be compassionate as your father in heaven is compassionate. And here's what's really interesting to me. I think, is that as Jesus sends them out with this in mind, that the the harvest is plentiful, go pray that God would raise up those who would work and bring in this harvest. As He sends them out to do this mission, this mission of compassion. Do you know what His main encouragement is to them? I found this really interesting. His main encouragement to them is, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." He says, there's going to be times then you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say. He says, don't be afraid. He so says, my Holy Spirit is with you. We'll give you the words, lead you in what to do and what to say. He says, people, crowds, you're going to encounter people who totally disagree with you. In fact, you're going to encounter people who absolutely reject you. You are actually going to encounter people that want to kill you. But don't be afraid. He says, you are so precious to your father. Don't be afraid. Just go. Go and do it. Go proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Go heal. Go cast out demons. Go and do this mission of compassion with them in their villages, in their homes, in their lives. Go and do compassion. Here's the thing. I, I, I think a lot of us, we feel compassion. And that's a really good thing. We feel compassion. Um, a month or two ago, um, we as a church, we, we spent some time here talking about um, compassion towards uh, the forgotten children, what I've called the forgotten children of our city. Uh, we, we talked about what would it look like to be a community that, that has a heart that's broken and praying for, that that has this sense of compassion for um, those children in our city who are part of this broken foster care system, who who are thought, um, uh, who, who think of themselves as uh, just completely forgotten, that no one loves them, no one cares about them, uh, and they end up on the street, they end up trafficked, they end up abused, all these things. And I think as we talked about that, I know this because I heard it from you, we felt compassion, right? We felt love towards these children. God has given us, in some way, I don't really fully understand, a unique heart for children in this community. And we want him to continue to grow that sense of compassion. But I also think it's true that as much as we felt that, the danger is that we would not do that, right? That we would feel compassion. But the real question is, will we do compassion, and I think the, 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 the gap in between is fear. See, I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he told them, don't be afraid. Because the reality is that compassion, not just feeling it, but doing it is scary. Compassion is scary. Real compassion is scary because it costs something, right? It's risky. It means to be with people, to go to those who are broken and suffering and be with them. It's costly because it means giving up and sacrificing our time and our energy and our resources and our comfort and our control. We think, what would happen if I really got involved with that? I mean, I feel compassion, but maybe I'm hesitant to do compassion. It's because I'm afraid. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Trust me that when you get to that point that you're scared and you don't know what to do, I'll show you what to do. That moment when you don't know what to say, I'll give you the words. That moment when you encounter a wound so deep and so profound in a child's life that you have no idea what to do or how to love that child or how to bring healing in that child's life, that I will heal. Trust me. Don't be afraid. For some of us, I think pressing through that fear barrier, going from feeling compassion to new compassion, is very much about this uh, issue with the foster care system. And it means supporting or getting involved in foster care in some way. Maybe it means becoming a foster care family. Maybe it means adopting a child. But that's not for all of us. And that's not the only thing for any of us. You see, I think this issue of compassion, it's just stepping into that space where we're gonna take Jesus at his word, right? Where he says, don't be afraid. When I send you out into the harvest field to harvest, when I send you out to be missionaries of compassion, I want you to go and I want you to trust me. Don't be afraid. I want you to go. I want you to go. Maybe for you, it's your neighbor. Is that, that line, that fear line that you need to cross? And what it looks like for you is just taking Jesus at his word to go and to be with them and to share with Jesus, share with them about Jesus, to pray for them, um, to, to pray for physical or spiritual healing in their lives, to do the things that Jesus did and he sends us out to do, to go and do compassion in your own neighborhood, in your own workplace, in your own school, wherever it is, but to press in and do compassion. You know, this fall we're going to do um, something called Alpha. Y'all have heard me talk about Alpha. Alpha really is, is this series of dinner conversations where um, the, the big questions of life and faith and God, they all kind of get uh, stirred up. And it's really for people who, who, are, who are far from God or who are questioning what they believe about God. And it's for people um, who are kind of out there in the crowd, right, of our lives. People, people maybe even who are in here and feel like they're a part of that crowd. And they're not sure where they stand. And and what I want to say is the reason we're doing Alpha, the reason we want to do this this thing where we're just getting together and having dinner and we're talking about God and faith and all these questions with people who who wouldn't ever feel comfortable in church, the reason we're doing that is for compassion. It's out of a compassion. It's out of this gut-wrenching love for people to know this Jesus that we've come to know. We want them to know the shepherd, not to be out there harassed and helpless, but to know Jesus, their king and his kingdom. Jesus looked out on the crowds, the people all around him, and he had compassion. He felt compassion. He did compassion. And he's calling us to do the same. He's calling us to be on that mission with him as a church, to pray to that end, to act to that end, for us to be a place in the heights, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our country, where people come to experience this kind of compassion, to hear the good news of Jesus, to receive healing and transformation, and to be a part of this community, this new kingdom community that Jesus invites all of us into. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are amazed. We are absolutely amazed by your compassion. or we're amazed by your compassion because that is the love that you have for us. Lord, that we are the crowd. Lord, that we are the ones you looked out on and you had compassion on us. And Lord, because of that, you invite us to be a part of your compassion mission in the world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church, as Apostles Houston, to be those who know the compassion of Jesus and feel the compassion of Jesus and do the compassion of Jesus in our world. Lord, lead us into that. Help us step through that place of fear. Lord, because you're with us, And you want to be at work through us. But we love you and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.